Welcome back to another episode of Not Another Fucking Elf, our in-depth Lord of the Rings character guide podcast, hosted by Lord of the Rings nerd Paul Ridd. Hello. And me, Catherine Bray, also an unsurprisingly huge fan of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it would be quite a weird gig for someone who hated Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, maybe we don't need to start every episode with this kind of affirmation of our fandom, but eh, don't know, it feels nice at this point, it feels like a little ritual. Yeah, I do love a ritual. And as you'll know if you've listened before, in each episode of this podcast, we look at a different character from Lord of the Rings, what that character's all about, what they mean in the grand scheme of the Lord of the Rings, and all that kind of stuff. Plus we play our regular game, The Page Off. And we're called Not Another Fucking Elf, which is very regrettable, really requires explaining each time. Yes, we're sort of committed now to opening each episode by explaining that we have zero beef whatsoever with elves. No beef with elves at all. We're called Not Another Fucking Elf as a shout out to a friend of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes, who supposedly said, oh, not another fucking elf, when Tolkien was reading a bit of his latest workout. Nice little spicy bit of commentary there from Hugo. Yeah. So which character are we looking at today, Paul? Today, Catherine, we are somehow going to be spending the whole hour looking at the very important character of Shadowfax. Shadowfax. So for anyone who can't remember, refresh their memory, who is Shadowfax? Shadowfax is Gandalf's horse. He certainly is. One of the Meras, unless my eyes are cheated by some spell. So if you've ever wondered exactly what that actually means, stick with us, because all will be revealed. And before we talk uh, to you about a fictional horse for an hour, your regular reminder that if you haven't listened to, read or watched Lord of the Rings in one of its many, many forms, this will be full of spoilers. Yeah, that's both shadow fact specific spoilers and spoilers for the Lord of the Rings more generally. So consider yourself warned, let's talk shadow facts. As ever, the big question that we ask for the character recap section of the podcast is... Who is Shadowfax? What's his deal? Shadowfax is a big, strong horse. He's he's very fast, he's very proud, he's very courageous. Yeah, and we hear about him before we even meet him, right? Yeah, that's right. Our first encounter with Shadowfax is kind of reportage with a good guy wizard explaining that after he escaped from bad guy wizard Saruman, with the help of his pal Gwahir the Windlord and Eagle, he went to Rohan, the land of the Horse Lords, to ask for aid. Yes, and the King of Rohan, Theoden, who is not a big fan of Gandalf at this stage of the narrative, says, take any horse you like and go. Um, but there was an element of courtly manners to that statement because he's pretty outraged when Gandalf chooses the best horse that he's got in the entire country. Shadowfax the Wonder Horse. Yeah, it's kind of a bit cheeky on Gandalf's part. Um, very kind of, well, you did say any horse. And it's probably quite clear that Theoden didn't literally mean that horse. But Gandalf also says that at this point. No one has ever ridden Shadowfax. So the extent to which anyone can say they really own him is sort of debatable, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess from Theoden's point of view, he's like, I'm the king of this country. I own everything in this country in a way. But I don't know, like the ownership of a horse that to all intents and purposes is a wild horse. Like no one's ever ridden Shadowfax before at this point. It does seem like he's in a bit of a grey area there. Yeah. So anyway, Gandalf rides off on Shadowfax, absolutely smashes it back west. And at some point between Rohan and Rivendell, where the terrain isn't suitable for horses, he sends Shadowfax back home. But he says by that point a great friendship has formed between them and that Shadowfax will basically show up if he calls him. And I'm not sure if there are any kind of limits on that distance-wise. 
Um, but certainly what happens later after the events of the Fellowship of the Ring have played out and the lads are all back in Rohan is that Gandalf calls to Shadowfax and he does, he comes running, so fair play I guess. <laughs> Shadowfax is then basically Gandalf's companion for most of the rest of the book. He rides to Isengard, he rides to Minas Tirith, he rides to the fields of Pelennor. Yeah, and most of Gandalf's major moments from that point involve Shadowfax. So when Gandalf shows up at the end of the Battle of Helm's Deep, and it's this kind of big moment, like he, the hero returns, he's riding Shadowfax, and he takes Pippin to Minas Tirith on Shadowfax, he confronts the Witch King of Angmar on Shadowfax. Yeah, I'd say he's probably the most important non-speaking character in Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, huge claim, but fair, I think. That makes sense. So that's Shadowfax and his narrative in a nutshell. Should we look more closely at him as a character? <laughs> Let's do our best, yeah. Talk to me about this horse. Tolkien makes a big deal multiple times over Shadowfax's bravery. That's a kind of recurrent theme. He's also described as sort of quite physically elite, like he's faster than all of the other horses. Mm, so it's uh, compared with other horses in this sort of... Uh, Horse hierarchy. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's silvery grey, I think, although in like Peter Jackson's adaptations, I guess we'll come on to talk about, he's purest white and that yeah. goes with the whole Gandalf as the white rider later in the book, but he's described in the book as a silvery grey kind of colour. Does that also relate to shadow facts as well, I suppose, in the sense of like... Yeah, I think it's just, um, it, maybe it goes with the Mithrandir idea of Gandalf as like the grey wizard, the silver wizard. It's, mm. it's that kind of um, matchy-matchy, almost like something that's quite funny to me is the fact that although... Obviously, Tolkien was not thinking about things like merchandise <laughs> when he wrote this saga. Gandalf is very merch ready. Yeah. He's got, you know, like he's in grey to begin with, then you can swap that out for the white version later. He's got his staff, he's mm -hmm. got his hat, he's got his horse, he's kind of got all the accessories. Yeah, totally. So yeah, the, the plastic horses were probably not in Tolkien's mind, but perfection. <laughs> Yeah, and the relationship between him and Gandalf, it does seem to be reciprocal. It's like not all in Gandalf's mind. The kind of moments that we get with Shadowfax, it seems really clear that he is characterised as an intelligent, thinking, independent being who genuinely has a lot of love for Gandalf. And like a strategist as well, right? A horse that's <laughs> able to make decisions about different types of land and water and surfaces. Yeah, and I mean, this is probably sounding bananas to anyone who hasn't read the book for a long time, so shall we have some direct quotes to back up what Let's we're saying that. here? So early Dawes' description of Shadowfax, and this is in the bit that we mentioned where he's describing him to everyone back in Rivendell, we're not actually seeing him yet, so this is Gandalf's eye view of Shadowfax, and I think this is the first time that he's mentioned. True indeed, said Gandalf, and there is one among them that might have been foaled in the morning of the world. The horses of the nine cannot vie with him, tireless, swift as the flowing wind, Shadowfax they call him. By day his coat glistens like silver, and by night it is like a shade, and he passes unseen. Light is his footfall, never before had any man mounted him, but I took him and I tamed him, and so speedily he bore me that I reached the shire when Frodo was on the Barrowdowns. So, a fast horse. Yeah, uh, without mega looking. horse. Mega horse. Um, I was also reading in my Tolkien concordance that there's a reference to him, or at least there's a reference maybe that's inferred in this concordance, that he's ridden bareback at all times by Gandalf. Oh, that's, yeah, very explicit. Um, he will consent to carry you or no. Um, and if he, 
if he consents to carry you, then he will not let you fall. You're gonna you're on that horse's back. But if he doesn't, then you know no bridle, whip, or bit will tame him. That's obviously just paraphrasing, but imagining the idea of a bareback Gandalf, just like <laughs> elf fashion, it's yes. described as. Uh, I think elves never have saddles. Oh. I'm not sure whether all of the animated versions have actually paid attention to all of that, but no. that's the least of those animated versions yes. problems. And then let's look also at how Shadowfax appears when he first actually shows up. So when we first actually see Shadowfax, it's you know, way after that first description of him. He's been set up a long time before we actually get to meet him. And it's you know Legolas looking out across the plains of Rohan. And Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli's horses are with him. And there's this idea of Shadowfax as like this real horse leader who's kind of corralled the lads. There is more than one horse coming, said Aragorn. Certainly, said Gandalf, we are too great a burden for one. There are three, said Legolas, gazing out over the plain. See how they run. There is Hatufel, and there is my friend Arod beside him. But there is another that strides ahead, a very great horse. I have not seen his like before. Nor will you again, said Gandalf. That is Shadowfax. He is the chief of the Meras, lords of horses, and not even Theoden, king of Rohan, has ever looked on a better. Does he not shine like silver and run as smoothly as a swift stream? He has come for me, the horse of the White Rider. We're going to battle together. Gandalf absolutely loves this horse. It's all over this horse, man. Yeah. I know. Like the, the beginning, it's all very, you know, I, I tamed him. But as the book progresses, it becomes much more... I bloody love this horse. This yeah. horse is so nice. This horse is my friend. It's yeah, really it's like adorable. Yeah, a symbiotic relationship with the horse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, and very shortly after that little moment, there's also this this uh, revelation of this riddle where Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli's horses ran off in the night, and they were like, "Well, what happened? Was it Saruman? What you know? Did something bad go down?" And Legolas says, "Now I understand a part of last night's riddle." Whether they fled at first in fear or not, our horses met Shadowfax, their chieftain, and greeted him with joy because Legolas has been really puzzled by the fact that when the horses ran off in the night, they sounded happy. Yeah. And now they know because their buddy's here. Buddy boy, Shadowfax. So they respect the hierarchy even amongst the horses themselves. It's very that, isn't it? Middle Earth. It's very that ingrained sense of kind of lordship and feudal lands and monarchies. I mean, it's not very kind of progressive through 2022 eyes, but I think in a fairy tale context, it's sort of fine. Yeah. But no, he's still, I mean, he's still a good comrade. Like when they set off on Shadowfax, um, he sets off at a good pace, yet not beyond the measure of the others. So he's collaborative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's an egalitarian, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> so so we understand uh, what he what his function is in the story, but do you want to sort of take us back to where he actually originates from, what his ancestry is? I would love to, yeah. Back in the mists of time, towards the beginning of the founding of that community of the House of Aeol in Rohan, um, Aeol, who's like the sort of forefather of the Rohan dudes, has this father, Laod, and he is this tamer of wild horses. Like, so the horse relationship with the people of Rohan like, goes back a really, really long time. It's not a latter days thing. Um, and he's described as capturing a white foal and it grew quickly to a horse strong and fair and proud. No man could tame it. When Laod dared to mount it, it bore him away and at last threw him and Laod's head struck a rock and so he died. 
He was then only two and 40 years old and his son, a youth of 16. So then Ale, this kind of founding father of, of the, the Horse Lords, vows that he would avenge his father. So he's going on this kind of revenge quest against a horse. Um, and this is all from the appendices, by the way. It's not in the sort of main narrative of Lord of the Rings if it's not sounding familiar. Mm. Um, and it's been a while since you've dug into the appendices. So Ale hunts long for the horse, and at last he caught sight of him, and his companions expected that he would try to come within bowshot and kill him. But when they drew near, Ale stood up and called in a loud voice, Come hither, man's bane, and get a new name. And this is bane in the sense of like something that is responsible for somebody's doom or downfall. They describe the Balrog in the same terms as Durin's bane, because the Balrog mm. killed uh, Durin, the kind of like dwarf forefather um, and to their wonder the horse looked towards Ale and came and stood before him and Ale said Felleroth I name you you loved your freedom and I do not blame you for that but now you owe me a great wear guild and you shall surrender your freedom to me until your life's end so then like for whatever reason it's not explained the horse is like all right I'll, I will do that um, it seems like these horses these particular horses the Maras understand human speech pretty well so a wear guild presumably would be a sort of bond of responsibility that would last their life. The ring is described in the same way after Isildur's father is killed by Sauron and um, then Isildur takes the ring and says, this I will have as a wear guild for my father. It's this idea of a debt that you pay to someone mm. for a death. Yeah, and then there's this big battle, the Field of Celebrant or Celebrant, um, and... Ale rides Felleroth into battle there and the horse proves as long lived as men and so were his descendants and that's the the start of this the Meras this mm -hmm. particular strain of horses who it says would bear no one but the king of the mark or his sons until the time of Shadowfax so Shadowfax is actually kind of even more unusual even within this kind of mm -hmm. specific strain of like mad wild horses that will only carry the lords of uh, Rohan um, he's the one who went like, oh, well, you know what? Like, that's my granddaddy's rules. Yeah. I'm going to carry... He's a New Testament horse. <laughs> he's a New Testament horse. <laughs> I'm going to carry the strongest wizard in Middle-earth and face off against the Witch King of Angmar. So mm. he's kind of a new era. He's, I guess, Miras 2.0. So I suppose on top of uh, uh, Shadowfax deviating from the lineage of horses that he belongs to who have this sort of royal prerogative, um, there's also the moment where Theoden allows for um, Shadowfax to become part of the Gandalf kit, I suppose. <laughs> the yeah. Gandalf accessory set, yeah. yeah. And by this point, it's it's not frosty old Theoden that we remember from the beginning of mm. um, the events of Lord of the Rings. This is now uh, post-exorcism Theoden who's really grateful to Gandalf. So at this point, it's like, it's no longer a kind of... Um, begrudging kind of yeah it's thing. no longer take a horse and be gone what the fuck you've chosen Shadowfax I did not mean that Th at this point it's like you have saved my nation where is Shadowfax said Gandalf running wild over the grass they answered he will let no man handle him there he goes away down by the ford like a shadow along among the willows Gandalf whistled and called aloud the horse's name and far away he tossed his head and neighed and turning sped towards the host like an arrow were the breath of the west wind to take a body visible, even so would it appear, said Eomer, as the great horse ran up until he stood before the wizard. The gift seems already to be given, said Theoden, but hearken all, here now I name my guest Gandalf Greyhame, 
wisest of counsellors, most welcome of wanderers, a lord of the mark, a chieftain of the Elongas, while our kin shall last. And I give to him Shadowfax, prince of horses. I thank you, Theoden king, said Gandalf. Then suddenly he threw back his grey cloak and cast aside his hat and leapt to horseback. He wore no helm nor mail. His snowy hair flew free in the wind. His white robes shone dazzling in the sun. Behold the white rider, cried Aragorn, and all took up the words. It's very sort of 80s music video, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Very hair kind metal. of hair metal, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I'm sure Theoden is just trying to be um, generous and you know, respect Gandalf at this point. But one thing I've just realised that it does also do is that he, he says Gandalf is now a Lord of the Mark. So it's also try, like slightly getting around this idea that one of their faithful horses that would only bear Lords yeah. of the Mark um, totally went off with this wizard. <laughs> He's like, well, all right then, uh, the wizard will now be a, a Lord of the Mark. That's how we get around yeah. that one. It's a little this legal like clause. A sort of a, loophole. A, a loophole that we managed to build into this whole <laughs> hierarchy of horses. Yeah, yeah. Um, and monarchs will do that. They 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 want to maintain. They want to their stay position. relevant. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then obviously he becomes a sort of a, a, a fighting horse as well, right? We should talk about how, where he fits into the actual conflict as well. Probably my favourite shadow facts. Like it's Tolkien does a nice job of describing him it's always terms like you know down leaped shadow facts like a deer that runs sure-footed in the mountains all very um old english poetry battle descriptions the battle of molden very that so we've got shadow facts as a kind of speed transportation method but he's also useful because he's incredibly chill in the face of danger compared to other horses. There are multiple examples that we could pick of this, but I like the this very brief moment where they're confronting the Lord of the Nazgul, the Witch King of Angmar, which um, goes like this. In rode the Lord of the Nazgul under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, and all fled before his face, all save one. There waiting, silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. Shadowfax, who alone among the free horses of the earth, endured the terror, unmoving, steadfast as a graven image in Rathdenan. You cannot enter here, said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go. Chills. So yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, I don't know what would have happened with Gandalf in this battle if he hadn't encountered Shadowfax. <laughs> Just Fax. be on a really scared horse that's running wild and <laughs> running away. Just this horse going completely mad and, yeah, yeah <laughs> go back, go back. <laughs> and so, obviously, a badass horse that really delivers when it's needed. Um, what happened to Shadowfax in the end? Yeah, this is something I hadn't actually really thought about in all my years of thinking about the Lord of the Rings until we came to do this episode, which is one of the reasons I'm enjoying doing this podcast so much. It's it's like allowing me to discover bits of the Lord of the Rings that, that I didn't know about, mm. which is very, very nice, very enjoyable if you're me. So I looked in the collated letters that Humphrey Carpenter put together from Tolkien's correspondence to see if there was anything on this. And as usually happens, there absolutely is. Tolkien has always thought about this and also somebody who will always have written him a letter saying what happened to Shadowfax or whatever. There's like nothing out there that, that hasn't been asked. 
Um, so I'll read out this reply from Tolkien about what happened to Shadowfax in the end. So Tolkien wrote to a Miss A.P. Northey, so thanks to her for writing in to find out what happened to the horse. Yeah, big shout out to A.P. Northey. Big shout out. A.P. Northey, we salute you. Mm. Um, in 1965, he wrote, I think Shadowfax certainly went with Gandalf across the sea, though this is not stated. I feel it is better not to state everything, and indeed it is more realistic, since in chronicles and accounts of real history, many facts that some inquirer would like to know are admitted, and the truth has to be discovered or guessed from such evidence as there is. I should argue so. Shadowfax came of a special race, being, as it were, an elvish equivalent of ordinary horses. His blood came from west over the sea. It would not be unfitting for him to go west. Gandalf was not dying or going by a special grace to the western land before passing on beyond the circles of the world. He was going home, being plainly one of the immortals, an angelic emissary of the angelic governors, the Valar of the earth. He would take, or could take, what he loved. Gandalf was last seen riding Shadowfax. He must have ridden to the Havens, and it is inconceivable that he would have ridden any beast but Shadowfax, so Shadowfax must have been there. A chronicler winding up a long tale, and for the moment moved principally by the sorrow of those left behind, himself among them, might omit mention of the horse. But had the great horse also shared in the grief of Sundering, he could hardly have been forgotten. So when he talks about the chronicler there, he's talking about uh, Samwise Gamgee, who is the person who writes up the kind of the Grey Havens material. So he's sort of saying like Sam was so sad that of course he's not going to kind of explicitly mention um, that the horse went too, but that if the horse had been there been being gutted, left behind, the horse would have been gutted <laughs> and it would have been noted down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very sweet. I like the idea of uh, this exhaustive... Um, life's work um which obviously was explored to infinitely small levels of detail um then to sort of say in a letter oh not everything needs to be written down it's like apparently it was yeah not everything needs to have been thought about except that i have in great detail yeah that's beautiful um so that's that's shadow facts kind of as he is presented in the book and in the appendices uh Big, beautiful hero of a horse. An old horse as well. Like If he made it to the Havens, he lasted like, a really long time. Um, mm. But then we know that about this uh, strain of horses that they live like a uh, man's life span. So yeah, that's book shadow facts. Adaptation shadow facts. It's difficult, isn't it? Because typically when we do these episodes, we have a way to chronologically go through and explore all the obscure Canadian character actors that played characters in radio and film versions and cartoons and so forth. Um, but with a horse, it's a bit different, isn't it? It's a bit more difficult. Yeah, I mean, not to be speciesist, but we just don't know with the, most of the kind of audio versions um, whether it was like a horse foley, uh, probably that. They mm. probably didn't get specific recordings made with a yeah. horse actor. So normally we would kick off by talking about the lost 1955 BBC version and we would say, oh, well, it was this actor, but we can't have any idea what they sounded like. We don't even know if the horse was in the 1955 version. Maybe one day we'll get to speak with someone who heard that version. Those people must still exist. Or the horse wrangler that was 
tasked with bringing the horse to <laughs> BBC Broadcasting House. Yeah. But the Ralph Bakshi 1978 animated version, there's there's a horse in there. They kind of, like, he doesn't really look like particularly how Shadow Fax is described. He's quite a bit darker, the horse that they mostly have Gandalf on. I think for the Bakshi version, they just sort of weren't that fussed about horse mm-hmm. accuracy. I think, I mean, this is this will be a recurrent theme across the adaptations, but particularly for radio, but also to a certain extent with the animated version, if you're looking for stuff to cut and you're looking to compress this massive narrative, the horse is one of the things that can kind of go. I mean, not that like, they sort of have Gandalf going about on foot or anything, but they just don't, they're not going to devote as much time to no, all of the, the horse lore. The backstory and the disputes <laughs> over the horse, yes. So moving on to the 1981 BBC adaptation, obviously again difficult to discern quite what was done to uh, represent a horse. He was taken out a lot of a lot of it, honestly. So we're going to play a clip from a scene that we've just heard the book version that we've just read out, where Gandalf is confronting the Witch King of Angmar. This is how the BBC rendered it, and it is notable for its distinct absence of a heroic horse. Just also. when you're expecting a heroic Just horse, when you're yeah. expecting a heroic horse, so it's really Gandalf stuns alone. Very short clip. Um, we'll play, play that for you now. In rode the Lord of the Nazgul, under the archway that no enemy yet had passed, and all fled before his face. All save one. You cannot enter here. Do you not see the dawn is at hand? Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go. (laughs) Old fool. Old fool. This is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die. Now, and curse in vain. The horns of the Rohirrim. Theoden is come at last. The darkness was breaking too soon, before the date that his master had set for it. Victory was slipping from his grasp even as he stretched out his hand to seize it. But his arm was long. King, Ringwraith, Lord of the Nazgul, he had many weapons. He left the gate and vanished. Like the way that it just cuts just at the point where you would expect a bit of horse, at least a little bit of horse action. Yeah, it's, I guess it's just such an easy lift out. And for audio in particular, um, Peter Jackson obviously doesn't get rid of Shadow Facts because the horse is a very visual thing mm. and that's quite lovely to have in mm. a big, lush um, visual adaptation. I understand there's a little funny bit of trivia about the BBC show involving Shadow Facts, right? Oh yeah, one of his key scenes is is actually lost. So when the BBC broadcast was first broadcast, it was very slightly shorter than the eventual version that they then re-released subsequently, which restored a few bits of dialogue that had been cut for length. But for some reason, some scenes involving Gandalf, Pippin and Shadowfax were actually lost forever. And I don't know why. (laughs) Just more BBC... (laughs) <laughs> losses from the Tolkien canon unforgivable <laughs> someone there just doesn't like it just put in, putting Tolkien stuff in the in the bin for no reason Inglis Rob Inglis obviously our pal from 1990 doing the first unabridged audiobook 
well, there's not a lot to say about Rob Inglis because obviously he doesn't attempt to make any kind of horse noises or anything. No, which is a shame. I think it would have been fun to hear Inglis's sort of yeah. sh- shadow facts Winnie, but he, as an unabridged version, obviously does play out all of the scenes involving shadow facts. So we've got a little clip for you here to hear how shadow facts comes off in... It's actually the scene that would, was lost from the BBC version, so oh, it's, nice. it's Gandalf and Pippin off to war in Gondor. There was a silence again for a while, then... What is that? cried Pippin suddenly, clutching at Gandalf's cloak. Look, fire, red fire. Are there dragons in this land? Look, there is another. For answer, Gandalf cried aloud to his horse. On, Shadowfax, we must hasten. Time is short. See, the beacons of Gondor are alight, calling for aid. War is kindled. See... There is the fire on Armandine, and flame on Eilenach, and there they go speeding west. Nardol, Eralas, Minrimon, Kalanhad, and the Halafirion on the borders of Rohan. But Shadowfax paused in his stride, slowing to a walk, and then he lifted up his head and neighed, and out of the darkness the answering neigh of other horses came, and presently the thudding of hooves was heard, and three riders swept up and passed like flying ghosts in the moon and vanished into the west. Then Shadowfax gathered himself together and sprang away, and the night flowed over him like a roaring wind. Again, as usual, it's Rob Inglis sitting by the fireside reading the story, right? Lovely. Really, if I was trapped on a desert island or something, I would consider taking the English audiobook version along. I, the circus version is wonderful and it's, a, I think, a superior work in terms of bringing all of the different voices to life, but there's something profoundly reassuring about mm. robbing this version. And on to the big guns. Uh, we have the Peter Jackson films from 2001 uh, through 2003. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, firstly, some of the visual differences between how Shadowfax is described in the book versus what he looks like on screen. Yeah, so he's very silvery grey in the book and it's all of this, you know, virtually invisible at night kind of business. For whatever reason, Jackson puts that in the bin and we get this very music video... Barclays Bank, whatever it is, with the horse... I think is Lloyd's have a black Lloyd's. horse. But... Oh, is it Lloyd's? No, but it's just the way it's framed. Slow motion, illustrious horse. Yes, the key scene is the famous Captain Exposition, Legolas, spotting him and saying, that is one of the Maras, unless my eyes are cheated by some spell, which is a classic Legolas line, as huh. uh, anyone who's heard our Legolas episode will know he's constantly saying what he sees. Yep. And that plays out a little something like this. Shadow facts. 
as the Lord of all horses. And has been my friend for many dangers. Obviously, you're losing a bit of that hearing it as a podcast, but I love the slow-mo that has been applied to the horse here. It's so glamorous. It's so 80s hair rock. It's very much like Gandalf is in love with the horse. So romantic. Yeah, it's really, it's all given a framing and pacing that you might normally expect to see like a woman running up a hill towards you and it's not, it's this it's this beautiful horse actor. I don't know which of the horse actors it is in this scene, there are two main horse actors, Blanco and Damero, those are the two, <laughs> the guys portraying Shadowfax in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. I think it's actually more than just those two, but those two are the main ones. They're the featured horses. I guess a question that always comes up with uh, the Jackson adaptations is horse welfare because there were some stories flying mm. around about whether all of the horses were kind of treated brilliantly. Sort of the same question as the actors. I think the actors <laughs> went through it as well, constantly breaking ribs and so on. But I guess at least they actually knew what they were signing up for and could theoretically have quit, whereas the horses are just, you know, it's a horse, it doesn't have any choice, it's involved now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know whether a horse would have to audition for a, a role like that, or if it's more that you you engage the horse trainer and then it's their job to kind of come up with the right horse. Yeah, well, coming up with two visually identical horses that are ready to perform at, on cue in some quite challenging contexts. I imagine, I mean, I'm sure there's lots and lots of stuff about this, but that whole casting process must be quite tricky. Yeah, they've got to look great in the close-ups, but they've also got to do quite a lot of horse acting. Yeah. There's a scene which we can just hear a little bit of, although it won't give the full sense of it, where Gandalf really uses Shadowfax as a weapon when he's trying to take down Denethor, the mm. mad steward who's intent on burning himself and his son alive. And the horse really has to rear up and yeah. he uses... quite a close shot as well. Quite a close shot. Here for the cameraman as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. They probably killed numerous cameramen sure. and then hushed it up. I'm um, sure. That's a serious allegation that I'm making officially on this podcast. It's a tenth Not a episode, joke. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's listening. It's all good. So yeah, the horse as a weapon is, is very important um, in Jackson's version. And then the other thing that he likes to do a lot with the horses in, in the 2001 films is these glorious wide shots yeah. of the horse and presumably a stunt person rather than Ian McKellen um, just riding very very fast across rough terrain like they go through a lot of rivers it's a, always a nice opportunity to hear a bit of Howard Shaw's score mm -hmm. while they're doing that it tend not to be dialogue scenes so you just get these lovely little mini horse music videos yeah. set to a Howard Shaw score. No, it's beautiful and the thing that really strikes you watching them when you see them on the big screen is the sense of Obviously, there's a lot of CG integrated into those shots when you're seeing, you know, big buildings and, and spaces in the background. But there is also the sense of a real filming process having happened, in part because oftentimes the, the camera that's trailing or shooting from the side in a car or something isn't artificially stabilised. So there's a lot of kind of janky camera work going on and the camera bouncing around a little bit, even when you're trying to get this sense of scale. So it really feels real. Yes. Yeah. 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 One of the scenes that I think actually sort of suffers a bit from 
feeling less tangible and is a bit of a harbinger of doom of kind of CGI uh, takeover of blockbuster filmmaking that would happen in the subsequent 20 years is when Gandalf faces off against the Witch King of Angmar, which is the moment that we've heard in its shadow facts less form in the 1981 BBC version. But also, but here it is in the Jackson. We'll have, sort of have a listen to it playing out and um, then talk about the horse in that scene. <laughs> Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Do you not know death when you see it, old man? This is my power. The horse uh, does some good horse acting. It rears mm. up. You know, we we hear a bit of, of you know horse foley or, or however they've captured that. Mm. But I do think that in contrast to the stuff where we're definitely seeing a real horse riding across a river or whatever, you know that the horse isn't really opposite anything mm. in that scene. Um, the human actors do a wonderful job of kind of reacting to the witch king of angmar um but we know that the horse isn't reacting to anything like no, that the, the horse sight lines are all wrong in the back <laughs> <laughs> the horse is sort of like dancing off to one side it's just yeah it's there are so many visual effects shots in the return of the king i think it's over a thousand mm. and there's more like 300 in fellowship and somewhere yeah. in between for two towers and it's yeah, just one of those scenes where it's really clear that the fell beast that the Witch King is sitting on is a, a CG guy. I do think that's also a general Return of the King problem, though, as well, because I guess because so much of it plays out in the daytime um, and there's not so much stylized night work as there is in Two Towers and, you know, you've got Helm's Deep and you've got all the stuff in Fellowship, um, there's a feeling of some of the daytime war scenes different elements cg or otherwise being sort of put together in this sort of visual soup <laughs> sometimes and it maybe that's also because of the rush to complete it but some of the effects shot do look and this one in particular do look a bit strange they feel like not properly integrated into this into the sort of composition yeah and it's not that everything has to look totally photo real all the time because i think the charge of the rahirian when they show up on their horses and they're sort of on the on the horizon mm. and it's dawn and you know in the book the cock crows mm. and it's it's one of Tolkien's favorite moments I think from the entire endeavor um not the films he obviously didn't see those mm. one of his favorite moments in the book um but there's a painterliness to it mm. and they've done really nice work with the sort of the quality of the light um mm. as the sun comes up and that's really gorgeous but with something like the confrontation with the Witch King of Angmar, it's like, well, where's this taking place? Is it in a video game? Yeah, where's the light source? What's going on? What's that 
is that horse really looking at anything? Yeah, it's a, it's a problem. <laughs> there are a lot of montages in the film that involve, um, you know, swift motion across landscapes with shadow facts when, um, which help to kind of maintain a kind of through line momentum and feeling of forward forward progression in a film which does have very very many different divergent narrative strands. So separating it out from the whole narrative side of things formally i feel like there is a sense that the horse is used as a way to keep these elements sort of cemented together you know it really helps with the geography of it to kind mm. of realize okay so gandalf is really going on a journey now he and pippin in return of the king they're going from rohan to gondor and gandalf even has a little line Let's actually listen to that clip. Um, so here they are galloping along. This is uh, Ian McKellen as Gandalf with Billy Boyd as Pippin uh, on the back of Shadowfax. And this is one of these transitional scenes that you're speaking about here. But we'll see each other soon. Don't we? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going Mary. Run, Shadowfax. Show us the meaning of haste. Mary! So I think you're right, they're a really good way of these horse scenes of creating that sense of space and distance within Middle-earth and in the book you can always refer to the maps and you have that sort of sense of scale um, but that can be quite difficult to do in a film and I think this really helps with that. Then finally we have uh, Andy Serkis' glorious uh, reading of Lord of the Rings that he did in 2020. But for whatever reason the appendices he does them in a kind of a weird voice. It's a bit weird. I'm not sure. It's a bit Crypt Keeper. Yeah, I might, I mean, I'll go back and have a listen and see if it's sort of, there's any reason that it's, maybe he's trying to do an impression of Tolkien, something like that. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe he's just tired. <laughs> he's just really tired. He's read the whole thing and then someone said, actually, you've still got the appendices to go. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not circus. Maybe yeah. they just got someone who sounds a bit like him to come back and do the appendices. This is the section that we were recounting earlier where we get a bit of deep Shadow Facts background. It was actually really, it's, you know, Shadow Facts' great, 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 great grandfather um, origin story. They all stood up and called in a loud voice. Come hither, man's bane, and get a new name. To their wonder, the horse looked towards Aeol and came and stood before him. And Aeol said, Felaroth, I name you. You loved your freedom, and I do not blame you for that. But now you owe me a great Weirgild. And you shall surrender your freedom to me until your life's end. Then Aeol mounted him, and Felaroth submitted. 
and Aeol rode him home without bit or bridle, and he rode him in like fashion ever after. The horse understood all that men said, though he would allow no man but Aeol to mount him. It was upon Felaroth that Aeol rode to the field of Celebrant, for that horse proved as long-lived as men, and so were his descendants. These were the Meras, who would bear no one but the king of the Mark or his sons until the time of Shadowfax. Men said of them that Bema, whom the Eldar called Orome, must have brought their sire from west over sea. So we've talked about uh, Shadowfax in the story, in the book. We've talked about Shadowfax in the various adaptations of Lord of the Rings. Um, I suppose what we would usually do now is wrap things up by talking a little bit about the wider significance of the character. Although with the horse it's a slightly different matter, so it relates... Yeah, actually it's not that different. It's not that different. I'm being speciesist, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, you are. Uh, that's, that's not what I wanted to hear from someone who has agreed to do an hour on a horse. <laughs> so where does this idea of adulation around a mythical horse come from? Because Tolkien obviously steeped in literary and um, historical um, reference points as a sort of academic. Where does this sort of worship of horses come from? Yeah, he's big, so he's big into, you know, Britain circa 900 or whatever, the mm. kind of Battle of Malden, Beowulf, that era of English poetry. And you find a lot of horses in there. They're part, a big part of um, people's lives at that stage. And there's quite a bit of evidence, I think, for that in mm -hmm. the historical archaeological record. Mm -hmm. The burial of horses with key leaders and people, you know, uh, something like Sutton Who in Suffolk, for example, where there's a sort of burial ground, where there's a ship, but there's also a space for horses clearly left. Um, so yeah, a culture which respects or uses horses in various different ways. As I understand it, horses are most associated in that sort of Anglo-Saxon law with kind of uh, travel and warfare rather than necessarily with farming or with mm. anything kind of agricultural. So there's a sense of the nobility of the horse, which stems back to to Anglo-Saxon times and to Anglo-Saxon literature, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Tolkien, as ever, is reflecting that in his mythos. So this isn't Shadow Facts, this is Snowmane, but when King Theoden's horse, Snowmane, dies, he gets like this whole grave site to himself. Snowmane's how is, is raised up over his body and he's kind of honoured in death, even though it's Snowmane that actually... As, the death of as discussed, is the death of Theoden by rolling on him. So, yeah, there's a big, big respect. And I don't know if we've really come so, so far as a culture. I think that sort of sense of anthropomorphism and as a culture mourning for like Harambe or mm. Cecil the Lion. It's, it's still that idea of animals as as noble as people or more so. Yeah, yeah, and also horses in particular, I guess. Um, even in a kind of a modern context, the idea of horse races and breeding special horses that are hugely valuable and so forth. It's sort of it steeped in Western culture, isn't it? The, this idea of horses as kind of respectful. It's, yeah, it's such a weird blend of kind of commodification 
and respect because mm. it's not like racehorses have a brilliant time of it. Oh, a terrible time, I think. You know, shoot them if they break a leg and all of that stuff. Mm. But at the same time, people spend so much money on them and kind of like look after them mm. wonderfully until they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we have a very complex relationship with, with animals in some ways. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's also a kind of more ancient tradition. I'm thinking of things like, um, well, in the Iliad, Hector and his wife Andromache who are two of the most kind of respected characters in that story, the two noblest characters in that they are thrown into this tawdry story and don't really want to be part of this horrible war over a woman. Um, Hector himself is, is referred to as the tamer of horses. Right. And so at the end of the story, when he dies, um, he's killed by um, Achilles, uh, there's a there's the final line of the Iliad is, and so they buried Hector, tamer of horses. So it's very much sort of built into his nobility that he is um, a sort of a warrior, but also someone who has this sort of very strong connection with horses, um, which only adds to the level of nobility that you would have across thousands of years of literature for these creatures. Yeah, yeah, it just sort of feels like there's a lot of respect for horses, which, which I think must have made it all the more galling for Tolkien uh, when someone decided to name a hovercraft. <laughs> Shadow facts after his creation. Um, this is another fun bit from the letters. So this is Tolkien um, really quite cross over what has happened with um, this this whole hovercraft debacle. I'll, I'll just re- read from that now. So this is from a letter to his publisher in 1964. Um, so the, the Aquastrol Hydrofoil... Um, was given the name Shadowfax. No. <laughs> he said, I wish that copyright could protect names as well as extracts. It is a form of invention that I take a great deal of trouble over and pleasure in, and it really is quite difficult, often more so as, say, lines of verse. I must say I was piqued by the christening of the, uh, that monstrous hydrofoil, Shadowfax, without so much as a by your leave, to which several correspondents drew my attention, some with indignation. I am getting used to Rivendell's, Lorien's, Imladris, etc, etc, as house names, though maybe they are more frequent than the letters which say by your leave. So, yeah, he was not a fan of there being a hovercraft out no, there no. called Shadowfax. Well, when you think of the sort of overwhelming anti-technological sort of fervour of Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings is sort of doubly galling that it would be a horrible great big hovercraft. So it's just such a world away a hovercraft from what he'd envisaged with this kind of society uh, with the with the Rohirrim in Rohan leading this kind of quite simple but noble life that's reflected in the literature of the period around things like the Battle of Molten. And, you know, these guys are sort of deeply respectful of horses. One of the first things that we hear about them is that Sauron has been putting about this lie that they pay tribute with horses and Boromir at the Council of Elrond says, you know, that can't be true. That's like literally, you know, that would be that would be like they were buying their lives with their children. Their horses are like next to children in their eyes. And we see it in all of their nomenclature as well, of course. Hmm. Well, yeah, names like Eomer and Eowyn with their sort of original Old English A-O um, sort of opening, linking to horse and words for horses. Yeah, yeah. and their uh, their flag as well, their sort of heraldic device of a white horse on a green background. If you've ever been 
on the Eurostar. If you look out on on the way down, you can see a white horse on the side of a field. I think it's like that a chalk thing, isn't it? a chalk thing. Yeah, I think that one is actually a modern creation made up as a tribute to the one in Wiltshire, which is genuinely ancient and has right. been there forever. But yeah, it's obviously something from a thousand years ago, respecting the horse as a device. So, have you ever had a? <laughs> <laughs> We've had a relationship with a horse. Um, How do you feel about horses generally, Catherine? I mean, I'm not like a, you know, a horsey person, like with a sort of membership at the stables or anything like that. But I've been on a horse. I have had a horse ride. Thought, yeah, I'm I'm basically too scared for horses. I love the idea of having that kind of like a bond with an animal. Mm. Um, And I think I do have that with my cats. Oh yeah, of course. Horses, it's like, it could kill you. You could be thrown from its back. Yeah, I think my first sort of, well, (laughs) I obviously knew about horses before I learned about this, but I have a very deep-seated kind of connection of horses with um, horrible physical accidents. So watching (laughs) Superman when I was a kid and finding out, you know, that Christopher Lee had such a horrible experience with a... Christopher Lee? Christopher Reeve had such a terrible experience with a horse um so that's kind of seared on my mind i did ride a pony when i was little but i don't think yeah that's as far as i'm going near a horse personally yeah yeah i i know people who've been kicked by horses and that's like not something you want to go through i stick to cats they can't really i mean they can scratch you but that's that's about it isn't it yeah Um, and they're they're soothing in a way that i think Horses, I feel like you're gonna, they're going to bolt any minute. Like, I love coming here because I get to meet your two cats and spend time with them. But if I was going to come here, we're, I'm talking about Catherine's flat. The, 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 the audience doesn't know where we are. Well, we could be recording this so in a cell. We're but, in um, my flat. We're in Catherine's flat and she's got two lovely cats. And uh, one of the reasons I come here to do this is so I can spend time with them. And if, if I was coming here and there was a horse, I'd be bolting personally. <laughs> And I think it is one of the things that I think is just so funny about human beings is that they can develop these sort of parasocial relationships, to use a buzzword, with animals. Mm-hmm. Like there aren't really very many other species that will do that. The idea that I've got these two little mammals living in my house that I've given names to and that I feed every day, even though there's absolutely nothing in it for me, at least on a, on a sort of material basis, but obviously I formed this bond with them and I love them very much but looked at from the perspective of an alien it's like bananas very strange I think someone was telling me that um gorillas sometimes will have pets as well oh really like they'll keep uh small monkeys or uh, gorillas in captivity will interact with like kittens but they're not you know consistent they will squash a kitten by mistake kind of thing yeah so should we play the page off let's play the page off (laughs) Time for the final page off of the series where justice will be doubtless be served. Well, the thing is, last week we narrowed the gap between our scores on the page off, didn't we? Certainly did. Um, But for those of you who are listening to this episode and this episode alone, we should explain what the page off is. Yes, yes. For those who've jumped in on episode 10 of Not Another Fucking Elf... The page off is as follows, a competitive game wherein we try to guess what page of the Lord of the Rings a randomly generated quote is from, and then we score points based on how far off we've landed. So in theory, you could score zero points if you landed on exactly the right page. 
hasn't happened yet, but it could. Yeah, so unlike a lot of games, the aim is to get as low a score as possible. So to be as close to the page number that the quote comes from and whatever that number is, is your score for the week. I think I'm currently on something like 466 points, right? That sounds right. Yes, checking the page off scrolls. You're on 466 points and I am on 355. So it could all change. I mean, strategically, and I think this is a weakness we've identified in the page off, strategically, I could just guess the same as you if I wanted to ensure victory for the yes. for the series. But I'm... That would be boring. Though, hand on it? my heart now, I'm not going to do that. Brilliant. It's a game to be played with honour, the page off. Indeed. Let's generate a quote. Let's generate a quote. Okay, so a quote has been generated. Um, shall I read it out? Yeah, go for it. But it does not seem that I can trust anyone, said Frodo. Sam looked at him unhappily. It all depends on what you want, put in Merry. You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble and go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. Oh, lovely. Pretty sweet Hobbit little quote. Friends. Yeah, lovely. Very nice. Nice way to end the page off. Yeah, like it's like sort of like early doors fellowship once it all comes out of the bag that there's been this sort of like secret reconnaissance mission around what Frodo's been doing led by Pippin. Is it Mary? I can't remember, Mary or Pippin? It's Mary. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's that. Okay, so there's about 100 pages of just Bilbo shenanigans. And, you know, what's going to happen to Bilbo's fucking chest of drawers or whatever. Yeah, Daddy Toothfoot. Daddy Toothfoot, all that shit. Down at the pub. Yeah, and then there's all the Gandalf business, the rumblings of Gandalf. Rumblings of the past. Yeah. So you're going to, so you're at least 100 pages deep. Still in the Shire. Maybe just on the way out. So I'm going to go 125. 125. Okay. So, I'm saying Mary doesn't come with them on the ride out of the No, he doesn't. (laughs) He's not there till they get to Crick Hollow. No. (laughs) Uh, Well, so they are still in the Shire, but they haven't... Yeah, but they're not, it's not, (laughs) there's a lot of other business before that, isn't there? So, it's probably close to 175, but I've got to stick to 125 because that's what I've said. Well, if you want to adjust. No, I'm staying 125 because I, I have my honour. <laughs> yeah. I've overshot, I think, a, a, another edition of the page off through this idea that there's so much at the start. Because there's also, like, Fellowship is pretty stacked. There's a lot happens after they get to Rivendell. Takes you all the way through Hollin, up the mountains, under the mountains, Lorien, River. So I see you were lobbying for me to go higher, but in fact, <laughs> you think it's lower. <laughs> that is a classic strategic move. I love it. Not necessarily. Oh, babe, do you want to have a second guest? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Listen, you could you just must guess with your heart, Paul. I know, Paul. I know. It's like page four. <laughs> no, I think 125 does sound like pretty decent as a guess. Mm. They've got to get through, like, there's all that old forest stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Like three chapters of Old Forest comfortably is what Old Forest and In the House of Bombadil and then Fog on the Barrow Downs, like three chapters of that. Mm-hmm. And you've got the shortcut to Mushrooms before they meet up with Mary as well. I think 125 sounds like a good guess, but then it sounds like I'm being strategic. No, 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 no. I, I, uh, I respect your choice. <laughs> no, you don't. I can see it in your eyes. You're like, oh, yeah, guess, guess the same as me, Catherine. Then there's like no possible chance of Yeah, but you, you see, honestly, you could go like 113 or something like that. I could. I think it is more, maybe like 100. I'm going to go under. Okay. 100. Okay. Let's say 100. Okay. I'm also pretty sure I remember us saying, I remember you, what, exactly what you're talking about and us going like, oh, yeah, there's 100 pages of Bilbo. 100 <laughs> What? This has happened to us. And there's like 20. We've we've learned nothing from it. No. Yeah, I'm going to say 100. Okay. Let's find out. Okay, so on page 100, we are in the relevant chapter, Conspiracy Unmasked. Right. Which is not the exact page. Almost though, right? Has to be. Yeah, I think so. Ah. Got it? Got it. It's on page 103. Oof. Very, very good. Three off. Three off. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> okay, so my final score for the page off series one of Not Another Fucking Elf is 358. It is. 358. Okay, and Paul, and let's find out where 125 would have landed us. Mm. So 125. Oh, gorgeous. We're in the house of Tom Bombadil. And they're all oh, having, nice. Having they're a having sing-song. The, having their dreams, actually. Oh. It's that lovely bit where Pippin dreams that he's trapped inside Old Man Willow again. Mm-hmm. Mary dreams that he's drowning. And Frodo has a sort of vision of Gandalf. And then he wraps it up with a little joke. As far as he could remember, Sam slept through the night in deep content if logs are contented. <laughs> Boring shit. (laughs) (laughs) Just has no inner life. We can't end series one by saying Sam has no inner life. (laughs) Sorry to all Sam Sam. That puts me 22 points on top of my existing 466. So 488. So 488. We end the series with Catherine on 358. And me, Paul, on 488, putting us 130 points apart. 130 points asunder on our quest Indeed. to destroy each other at the page off. Um, I'm happy with that. We'll be back. I'm sure you are. <laughs> we'll be back next series with possibly more page off. More page off, a cumulative score of Catherine on 358, just to repeat. And Paul on 488. Oh, you think we're going to carry the scores across? We have to. I have no argument with that. I mean, it would be silly if we started again and went from the beginning. We need to like keep this going for all 5,000 episodes until the ultimate score is found. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, at some point we'll run out of characters, but we'll never run out of page off. No, exactly. <laughs> until next time. Until next series. Uh, do... Subscribe so that you don't miss it when we start up with Not Another Fucking Elf again. Thank you for being here with us for this series. Um, We've really appreciated all the likes, comments, and thank you so much. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Not Another Fucking Elf, a Lord of the Rings character guide podcast by me, Paul Ridd. And me, Catherine Bray. We are a self-produced podcast. Please follow us at Not Another Elf on all good social media platforms. Let us know what you think. And it would be great if you could give us not one, not three, not seven, but five stars for Mortal Podcasts on your podcast app. Thanks to Tommaso Alietti for handling the digital wizardry, Anthony Ng for our music, and Charlie Shackleton for our lovely cover art. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders, and we strongly urge you to go out and buy the 1978 Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, 1979 Mind's Eye radio adaptation, 1980 Rankin Bass Return of the King, 1981 BBC Radio Lord of the Rings, 2001 New Line Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings, and the 1990 Rob Inglis and 2020 Andy Serkis Lord of the Rings audiobooks, both from HarperCollins. And buy the book. So many nice editions of the book out there. We also recommend the Humphrey Carpenter biography as a starting point if you're curious about the life of the man himself. And the Collected Letters, also collected by Humphrey Carpenter with Christopher Tolkien. And next week... Next week nothing! We've reached the end of season one. We're going to be taking a break, but subscribe, follow on social, all that stuff, and we'll let you know when we're back. And let us know which characters are must-cover characters for next season. I'm keen to do a Fatty Bolger episode, maybe Gaffer Ganji. So let us know if you're keen to hear or, you know, prevent those and make your own suggestions too. So that is it for now. That's the end of season one of the podcast. And I will not say do not weep for not all tears are an evil. 